Thank you for choosing Miniaturist of Baptist Church podcast. We hope you benefit from this message. If you'd like to learn more about Miniaturist of Baptist Church, please visit our website at miniaturistachurch.org. And uh, how does that uh, song start off? Uh, It is well with my soul. When peace like a river attendeth my soul. When sorrows like sea billows roll. Maybe you are in the midst of peace right now. And it just is smooth like a river. Or maybe you are going through some sea billows that keep rolling. Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Those are some good words. Let's bow our head for prayer. And you pray as the Lord leads you. Those are good words, Lord. When peace like a river attendeth my soul, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. And Lord, when we think about our world right now, it seems like there's a lot of sea billows that are rolling. And again, the redeemed need to stand up and say, it is well with my soul, because... I serve a risen Savior who's in the world today. I know that He is living, no matter what uh, men may say. Lord, help us to remember that. Help us to, as a redeemed people, stand out as being different. As a redeemed people, stand out as being obedient to Your Word. As Sky read from 1 John, that obedience is a part of love. We love Jesus, and therefore we obey His Word. Lord, we do pray for our nation. We pray that as believers, as the church, we might be able to gain back a witness that maybe we've lost. I pray as a church we would shine Your light. I pray as a church that we would fight for justice and freedom. I pray as a church that we would be strong in our testimony and in our witness. And even though many people are not interested in spiritual things, may they see a difference in us and wonder, hey, what's, what's with that guy? What's with that girl? And uh, because of that difference, search out what that is in us that causes that difference. Lord, we think about our church, and we are blessed in so many wonderful ways. We are blessed with people who want to serve. We are blessed with people who want to give. We are blessed with people who want to be here and to pray and to study the Word together. Lord, I pray that we would continue to be blessed as we continue to honor You. Some in our church aren't able to be here because of illness, because of uh, safety reasons, 
because they just didn't get out this morning, but uh, Lord, I pray that you'll be with them, that you'd give them peace, that you'd give them healing, that you'd give them comfort. Those of us that are struggling and are in need, I pray, Lord, that we would be very willing and prepared to cast all of our cares upon you because you care so much for us. Lord, so many things we can pray about, so many things that we can ask you for, so many ways that we can be encouraged by our Savior Jesus. And so, Lord, I pray that we would be a people of prayer even when we leave this place today and throughout this week we would be seeking your will. Lord, one thing we want to do now is we want to open your word together and we want to be united in your word. We pray, Lord, that you give us guidance and wisdom as we look at this passage today. And then, Lord, at the end, there's going to be some lessons for us. I pray that we would take to heart the things that you would have for us. Lord, you be our teacher now as we open your word together. And we pray all these things and all God's people said, Amen. So I'd like you to take your Bible and turn to Mark chapter 11 as we continue to go through this book together. And remember last week I said Mark uh, chapter 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, and 16 basically are the last, uh, the, well, the Passion Week. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Good Friday, Saturday, In the Grave, Sunday, Resurrection. Mark 1, 2, or Mark 10, uh, I'm sorry, Mark 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 are the last week. It only takes a week, but we're going to be in these books or in these chapters a few months. I, I am excited to report to you. So on the back of your bulletin there, uh, to give you, get you up to speed here, it says it's Tuesday of the Passion Week. And Jesus is on his way back to the temple. Remember last week we talked about Jesus scoping out the temple and seeing what he was going to do the next day? The temple is the heart of Judaism. And since the temple is corrupt, so are the Jews, unfortunately. In our passage today, Jesus illustrates the coming destruction of the temple. And he does that by using the illustration of a fig tree. And then he shows in his actions, driving out those in the temple, his displeasure with its ungodly activity. Now, I just want to spend just a little bit of time giving you some, uh, up to, uh, some uh, background information about the temple. And uh, I think we've got a slide up here for that. I didn't put it in your bulletin. But basically, let's look at this together. Let's just give you some information about the Jewish temple. And don't quote me on these dates here. They may be off uh, a little bit. But around 2000 B.C. in Genesis chapter 22, Abraham offers his son Isaac on Mount Moriah. That becomes a very, very, very important mountain. In about 1400 B.C., Exodus 25 and following, Moses builds the tabernacle in the wilderness. And I'm sorry, next door, I, you don't have this. Uh, we have it up on our slide here. You don't have this, but you can listen carefully. 1000 B.C., First Chronicles 21, David buys Mount Moriah from Ornan. The Bible tells us for 600 shekels of silver. Probably a pretty good deal back then. In 957 B.C., 1 Corinthians 5 through 8, I'm sorry, 1 Kings 5 through 8, and 1 Chronicles 3 through 7, Solomon, remember David plans to build the temple, but God says, nope, you're not going to do it. Solomon, his son, builds the temple on Mount Moriah. 
586 B.C., 2 Kings 24, 2 Chronicles 36, Babylon completely levels the temple and destroys it. 515, 70 years later, Jeremiah tells the people that for 70 years you will be in captivity. 70 years later, 515 B.C., Ezra, Ezra and Nehemiah are in the temple building, city wall building job. 70 years later, Ezra uh, begins to rebuild the temple. In the 150s B.C., the apocryphal books explain the desecration of the temple by Antiochus. And uh, at that time, Antiochus was one of the kings. He comes into uh, the temple and he offers pigs on their altar, which of course would be very un-Jewish-like. 20 B.C., Herod the Great rebuilds the temple, and it's completed in 64 A.D. And six years later, after it's completed, the Romans completely destroy it. And currently, there is no temple in Jerusalem. Daniel 9.27 and Revelation 11 talk about a temple that in the last days will be desecrated by the Antichrist during the tribulation. And then Revelation 19 and Ezekiel 43 seem to talk about an, a heavenly temple. Although, if you notice Revelation 21 verse 22, it says there is no temple in heaven because there's no need because Jesus is there. So a little controversy there. You can think about that. So that is just in a nutshell why the temple is so important to the Jewish people. And so we're going to take a look at two things, well, three things this morning. We're going to take a look at the fig tree. We're going to take a look at the temple. And then we're going to take a look at the lessons that we learn. If you'd like to take some notes, you can. Let's read our passage together. And this is Mark chapter 11, verse 12. And we're going to read through verse 21. The next day as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found out it had nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple area and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this, and they began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him, because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, they went out of the city. In the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. That is the reading of God's word. And so we're going to talk about the fig tree for a moment. And one thing that you notice right at the get-go is that Jesus was hungry. <laughs> Jesus was hungry. They must not have had any breakfast when they left Bethany. And Jesus is, the day before, scooping out the temple, 
or scoping out the temple, I should say. And uh, he needs some energy for what he is about to do. He knows what he's going to do, and he needs some energy, and so he's hungry. The creator of the universe became a man, and in his flesh he got hungry. So on his way to the temple, he's looking for something to eat. And he sees a fig tree, it says. And if you're taking notes, leaves meant fruit. Leaves meant fruit. And so Jesus says, or Jesus notices, that uh, this fig tree is in leaf. This fig tree is in leaf. And I didn't really know this, and I always wondered about this, uh, this um, what Jesus is doing here. So I did some research this past week. For fig trees, the little figs come first, and then the leaves. So Jesus, from a distance, saw the leaves on the fig tree, and he expected there to be at least some baby fruit, some baby figs. Hosea, and they must be pretty tasty because Hosea 9 verse 10 talks about the early fruit on a fig tree. Interesting. Jesus, however, gets to the tree and there is no fruit. He's expecting because he sees the leaves to be some fruit. But he gets there and there is no fruit, so Jesus pronounces a curse on the fig tree. And I always thought for, you know, when in reading this, I always thought, that, that poor fig tree. Because it says, when he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. And I'm thinking to myself, if it's not the season for figs, then why would he expect any figs to be on there? But then discovering, as I did this past week, that the figs grow first and then the leaves, there should be something there. There should be something there. The tree had the appearance of fruit, but with closer examination, it had none. And that's an important point here, because Jesus is illustrating to the disciples the truth of the nation of Israel. The nation which was given Jesus, basically, the gospel, was to spread that good news to the entire world. The only problem is the nation of Israel had a lot of leaves, a lot of rules, if you will, a lot of customs, if you will, but no fruit. And Jesus calls people with a lot of leaves but no fruit hypocrites. Hypocrites. And that's why if you look in Matthew, especially toward the end there, he is on the Pharisees. And he's calling them hypocrites, hypocrites. He's calling them whitewashed tombs. He says, on the outside you look wonderful, but inside you're just a bunch of dead bones. I mean, Jesus is really going after them because they were leafy. They were leafy. And they should be bearing fruit, but they weren't. There's an interesting parable in Luke chapter 13. You can turn there. You've got Matthew, Mark, Luke chapter 13. And uh, it's a parable about a fig tree. Chapter 13 and verse 6. This is interesting. He says, Then he told his disciples, Jesus is speaking here, A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. And he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he, took, he, he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years now, 
been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around it and fertilize it and if it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. Interesting parable. I think that three years has to do with something with Jesus' three-year ministry. Jesus comes to the people of Israel and they're like a fig tree bearing no fruit. And Jesus says, hey, you know what? I'm going to hang out for about three years and I'm going to uh, water that. I'm going to take care of that. And, uh, you know, after those three years is up, we'll see what happens. I think that's an interesting parable. As that parable was going on and as this fig tree cursing is going on, I can't help but think of Deuteronomy chapter 28. And I'll give you time, I think there's like 66 verses there. We won't read those verses. But really Deuteronomy 28, you can read this on your own when you get home. Deuteronomy 28 is kind of like a really important chapter. Because it starts off with God saying to the people of Israel, If you will obey me. If you will obey me. And then it lists a whole bunch of wonderful things that the Lord is going to do for the people of Israel. If you obey me, I will do this and this and this and this and this. It's just a great, it's a great, great, great chapter. Verse 15 says, However, if you do not obey me, then I'm going to do this and this and this and this and this. And I can't help but think that Jesus, as well as the disciples, weren't thinking of that promise. And unfortunately, the people of Israel were not obedient, and therefore, they received the punishment. Let's talk a little bit about the temple. Because the nation was not obedient, Jesus goes to the temple. Jesus ends his ministry cleaning house. Jesus ends his ministry cleaning house. Now, if you remember John chapter 2, right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, Jesus begins his ministry by cleaning out the temple. And then, if you will, from our parable, fertilizing the people the next three years, but really to no avail, the people were fruitless. So Jesus cleans house at the beginning, spends some trying, time trying to get them back on track. They choose not to get on track, so Jesus spends the end of his ministry cleaning house. And so the Bible says he went in there and he messed up all the tables and all the money changers and them selling doves. And really what was happening in there was it was it was a mess because the people that were coming for the holidays, for Passover, needed to purchase things unless they carried them the whole way, like they needed to purchase a really unblemished lamb. And where that unblemished lamb might cost five bucks in their hometown, now in the temple they're charging 25 bucks. Okay, it's a, it's a money-making mess is what it is. It's corrupt. And so Jesus goes in there and he messes, he, messes, he messes them all up. 
He won't even allow people to bring things in through the temple courts, he said. And then he says, and then he taught them. So I don't know if he's... I don't know if he's going crazy in the temple and trying to teach while he's doing that, or, or it's probably more likely after he disrupts everything, the people that are still there, he says, all right, gather around. I got, I, got, I got some things to talk to you about. Well, you know what? Most of the people were pretty excited that Jesus did this anyway because they knew they were getting ripped off. So they're probably cheering as the money changers are running. And so he's got a group of them, and he says in verse 17, and as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. It's, it, my house is going to be a place of worship. It's going to be a place of meditation. It's going to be a, a place of gathering. And none of that is taking place, he says, but you have made it a den of robbers. So... I think it's interesting when Jesus teaches the people, he doesn't teach them about politics. He doesn't teach them to rebel against the Roman occupation. He doesn't really teach them to heal the sick or to feed the poor. All those social issues that are really important, Jesus doesn't really spend any time at this crucial moment talking about those things. What Jesus is concerned about is one thing. Jesus is concerned about worship. Jesus is concerned about worships. Worship. A person's relationship with God was his main concern. A person's relationship with God was Jesus' main concern. Worship is always the main issue. Worship is always the main issue. The greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. If you do that, that is what you worship. The first of the Ten Commandments. Have no other gods before me. If you have no other gods, then you are worshiping the one and only. What you worship, how you worship is the main concern of God. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But you can see here with these actions, the next point, Jesus solidifies his death. I mean, after he does this, a little bit later, uh, probably next week or the week after, the people are saying, hey, with what authority do you come in here and do that? And Jesus will answer that in a few weeks. We'll get to it. The chief priests, verse 18, and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him. For they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, they went out of the city. They, Jesus and his disciples. So let's talk a little bit about the lessons. What can we learn from the fig tree and the temple? What can we learn from the fig tree and the temple? And I think this is important. Number one, the Lord always begins at home. The Lord always begins at home. God expects, and I said this in our prayer, God expects the ones he has redeemed to set an example to the rest of the world. God expects the ones he has redeemed. God expects Christians to set an example to the rest of the world. 1 Peter 4.17 says, For it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. 
The Lord always begins at home. The Lord didn't go into Rome and destroy the king and all that kind of stuff. The Lord went to the temple. The Lord went to the, the, the primary place of worship that was started thousands of years earlier. The Lord always begins at home. When the world, and that's pretty broad, so when your neighbors or your family members look at you, what do they see? Well, hopefully they see Jesus. When the world looks at you, when your neighbors look at you, when your family members look at you, when your work associates look at you, what do they see? Well, hopefully they see Jesus. When the world looks at the Minnetrista Baptist Church, do they first and foremost see Jesus? And that's why, we're, that's why I'm really excited about our theme this year. What I want them to see is the ordinary things that just make up the ministry of the Minnetrista Baptist Church. They see that we're a group of believers. They see that we study God's Word together. They see that we have a shared life together. They see that we remember the cross and that it's important. They see that we pray. They see that we give, and not only with our tithe and our offering, but we give to our community. They see that we worship. They see that God is providing the growth. And they see God doing extraordinary things through his ordinary church. So I'm pretty excited about that. The next thing I think we can learn is the Lord is interested, uh, the Lord is interested in more than appearance. The Lord is interested in more than appearance. And I ask this question, do you just have a bunch of leaves? I mean, is your tree just filled with a bunch of leaves? Are you a fruit-producing tree? A fruit tree with a whole lot of leaves may be pretty, but it's worthless, really. And Jesus confronted these leafy trees back in Mark chapter 7. You can turn back a few uh, chapters there. Jesus confronted these leafy trees, and I think, I think he confronts us too. Because appearance is not all that important. He confronts these leafy trees in Mark chapter 7, verse 5 through 8. So the Pharisees and the teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't, you, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with unclean hands? All right? the, the, the Pharisees and uh, the teachers of the law are interested in leaf, leaves right now. They're interested in leaves. Why don't you do these leafy things? And Jesus says, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. He says, as it is written, these people honor me with their lips. Appearance. A bunch of leaves. But their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. Just a bunch of leaves. Just a bunch of leaves. My grandson Landon, I was hoping was going to be here today because I wanted to tell a story about him. Uh, he's got a sprained ankle and so he's, uh, I think, at home. But every time I play Landon, I know in his mind he is thinking, 
about appearance. And I know he's thinking, he's old. He's bald. He's chubby. That's the appearance. But then I get out on that basketball court and I school him. I mess him up. I'm going to have to tell him I, <laughs> I used him today in an illustration. Appearance is one thing. You know, appearance doesn't really tell us the whole thing, does it? And so Jesus, like he always does, the third point, the Lord always goes back to the heart of the matter. The Lord always goes back to the heart. Appearance doesn't reveal what people are like. The heart does. And the heart in Scripture is a person's inner moral and spiritual life. That's what, that's what the heart is all about. I'm going to turn just to a few passages real quickly. But over a thousand times in the Bible, the word heart is mentioned. Over a thousand times. But I'm going, to, I'm going to look at a couple of those. If you want to follow along, you can, or you can just listen. Proverbs chapter 4 and verse uh, 23. This is what it says. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Luke 6.45 Luke 6.45, talking about the heart. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of his heart... His mouth speaks. And then 2 Chronicles, chapter 16, verse 9. I love this verse. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. The eyes of the Lord are looking throughout the whole world. And he's finding those people whose hearts are strengthened, or hearts are committed to him so that he can strengthen those. And then Acts 13.22. Acts 13.22 talks about David. After removing Saul, he made David their king. He testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. And then look at this, talking about obedience. He will do everything I want him to do. He will do everything I want him to do. As the Lord examines my heart, as the Lord examines your heart today, what does he see? And hopefully the first thing he sees is the first thing on our ordinary church. The ordinary church is made up of believers. Hopefully the first thing he sees is that you have a, a, a heart that is faithful to Jesus. You have a heart of faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Have you given him your heart? 
Have you given him yourself? That's what it means. Have you given him yourself? Have you invited Jesus to come and live inside of you? And then guess what? The fruit of that is that then you have a heart of service. And then you have a heart of love. And then you have a heart of obedience. And then you have a heart to open his word. And then you have a heart to pray. And then you have a heart to praise. And you have a heart to trust. When I was a little kid, we used to sing a song, Come into my heart. Come into my heart. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Come in today. Come in to stay. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. I don't know, do you ever remember singing that song? Come into my heart. Come into my heart. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Come in today. Come in to stay. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. That's the first thing that God wants you to do. Wants to make sure that your heart is right. And then the second thing He wants, you to, wants to do through you is, to, is, is to, to, to produce a whole bunch of fruit. To produce a whole bunch of fruit. At the end of the little booklet, My Heart, Christ's Home, I love this line. May Christ settle down and be at home as Lord of your heart. I love that. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word. It is so practical. And maybe we learn some stuff today about the fig tree and about the temple. But hopefully, Lord, we learn some things that we can take home that the Lord always starts with us. And what's going on in our life? Are we a good example of Jesus? The Lord also is interested more than, in more than appearance. He really doesn't care if you're perfect in worship attendance. He's more interested in what's going on in the heart, in the inside. He's always concerned about the heart. That's the bottom line. And so, Lord, I pray that our hearts would be given to our Savior, Jesus. And then He can produce wonderful fruit in us as we live and are obedient to Him. Thank you for the time in your word. May it challenge us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Minnetrista Baptist Church is a community of Christ followers who value preaching and teaching scripture, biblical obedience, community, prayer, and evangelism. If you'd like to learn more about Minnetrista Baptist Church, please visit our website at minnetristachurch.org. And come by for a Sunday morning service. We'd love to meet you.